Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4198 of the Bugle Audio Newspaper for a Visual World. It's Friday the 25th of June 2021, and I am Andy Zaltzman here in the shed of everlasting veracity in South London, just a couple of miles away from a room of absolutely no veracity whatsoever, from where I'm joined by Nish Kumar. Hello, Nish. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, Andy, do you want to break the news to the Buglers, or shall I? What? Saltzman is hanging out of his ass. <laughs> the man... You're going to have to slightly explain that to The him. man is... No, I refuse to explain that to Americans. You can Google okay. it. <laughs> Andy I mean, It's not really is... a term that I'm familiar with, to be honest. <laughs> Andy Saltzman but... is incredibly hungover. Joining us uh, from uh, across, uh, across the pond, uh, no doubt with a vaccination status update as well, it's Josh <laughs> Gondelman. Hello. Uh, it's so nice to be here. I've been fully vaccinated for a little over a month, and so it's just been nonstop hedonism in the Gondolin <laughs> household. <laughs> just going into pizzerias uh, in person to pick up my pizza. Uh, <laughs> cautiously seeing one to three friends at a time. Just the world is my oyster, and the oyster is still kind of closed. <laughs> Thank God you can get back to your real hobby, Josh, of yep. licking your post. It has been too long since you've been deprived of that basic human right. Oh, it's incredible. It's it's a rush. I am I'm a glow. <laughs> right, we are recording on the 25th of June, so it's a happy 118th birthday to George Orwell. Old Stevie Surveillance State himself, the renowned, uh, the renowned overestimator of the organisational capabilities of pigs, briefly runner of the least profitable agricultural establishment in history, and most famous, of course, for his hilarious comic high school slasher novel about an American under-17's rowing eight and their cocks who drank a magic potion on their transatlantic flight to compete in Europe to improve their rowing, but it had unexpected side effects and they ended up devouring Terminal 4 at Heathrow Airport when they landed. A classic of its type, but 1984. Um... <laughs> And, uh, how are you? How are you ball. able to do this hungover? Tomorrow is the twenty sixth of June, and interestingly, nothing happened on the twenty sixth of June between the years fifteen ninety seven and seventeen eighteen, according to Wikipedia. And such was the lack of anything significant happening on the twenty sixth of June during the seventeenth century that radical calendarists advocated removing the day from the calendar entirely in favour of either the thirty second of September or, more controversially, the north of January in an effort to curb New Year excesses. The disagreements over the future of the 26th of June understandably tore Europe apart, as of course did basically everything in those days, leading to the Fifth Bavario-Castilian War from 1693 to 96, which was uh, only voted the eighth stupidest war of the 17th century by a panel of voters convened by the University of Leghorn in 1700, uh, losing out to, amongst other conflicts, the War of Oswald's Testicle, the Harpsichord War, and the War of the Inviolable Pumpkin. In the end, uh, it was agreed to keep the 26th of June, but only at the cost of the 29th and 30th of February, um, after theologians concluded God got bored in the winter and had run out of steam by mid to late June, leading to the lack of events on the 26th. It didn't have the desired results, however, um, at least not for a long time. Only three things happened on the 26th of June over the rest of the 18th century, according to Wikipedia, and seven things in the whole of the 19th century, which was quite an action-packed century by the standards of the time, uh, before things belatedly picked up in the 20th century. But a bit of concern, there hasn't been an event on the uh, 26th of June since 2015, according to Wikipedia, as if the world needs moral conflicts dug up again. Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week's celebrity pugilism. 
we have a full celebrity fighting pull-out supplement. Uh, obviously, the the you know it's the kind of media hit of the millennium so far. Uh, celebrities fighting professional pugilists. Nish, have you got have you got any fights booked in? With, uh, uh, yeah, I'm in a uh, constant rolling fight uh, with Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, after the recent sensational face pummeling dished out by the renowned boxing ex- expert and shithead Floyd Mayweather to professional performative f**kwit Logan Paul, <laughs> the world is tenterhanging on its tenterhooks to find out which celeb is going to be next to volunteer to have their mushes moshed for the pseudo-entertainment of the easily distracted. And we are just hearing... Uh, well, this is very exciting. This fight has just been confirmed. George Foreman against David Attenborough, <laughs> uh, which could be an absolute classic. Uh, Attenborough, of course, will have picked up some tips from all those animals he's been goading to eat each other for his entire TV career. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to him dancing into the ring saying, I'm a beetle, I'm a beetle. But will it be enough to uh, see off the former world heavyweight champion and his collection of combat grills? <laughs> but also, uh, there's um, coming up the renowned Megatool and YouTubester PewDiePie, that name that's sort of course for uh, Pius Diogenes Pythagoras. Uh, he's taking on an M1 Abrams battle tank, kindly lent by the US military. Uh, whilst any available Hemsworth is going to go up against Brenda the Boa Constrictor from the Mid-Dakota Reptile Sanctuary. She's undefeated in 65, of course. But arguably hasn't faced a beefcake of the dimensions of a Hemsworth before. And just hearing that Rock v Rock is on. It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson versus a two-ton cube of Carrara marble. Um, the... Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson surely has the advantage in having won the toss and getting first go, but if he doesn't use those industrial drills to good effect, you can't uh, help thinking he could struggle when the uh, platform comes into use. That section in the bin. (laughs) Top story this week. Uh, America is being invaded by aliens. Uh, That could be the conclusion (laughs) of a (laughs) Pentagon report um, into... UFOs, uh, Josh, as our uh, American alien life uh, correspondent, mm-hmm. um, bring us up to date with exactly how deeply the aliens are already Im- embedded into American uh, society and politics and how much time we all have left before they kill us all. Yeah, this is a big story. The Pentagon has an unclassified report about UFO sightings, which is terrifying, but not because of the potential for extraterrestrials. I'm more scared of what is the U.S. military doing in the sky where the (laughs) easiest explanation for people to accept is aliens. Like, (laughs) we can't let the public know we're using a proton beam to tear a hole in the fabric of space-time and it looks like a floating orb. Let's just say maybe E.T. is real. (laughs) There haven't been any confirmed extraterrestrial sightings. There are a few that are are unconfirmed, like that, that are truly unidentified flying objects. So there is the potential that that they are extraterrestrials. Uh, but the Department of Defense hasn't ruled out going to war with space on the premise <laughs> aliens might exist and could possibly have space-age death rays of mass destruction. <laughs> uh, so the officials have examined over 120 incidents from the past two decades, uh, including three videos that were declassified last year and described as showing unexplained aerial phenomena. And they seem to have investigated these just with slightly more enthusiasm and urgency than for example the pentagon riots of the 6th of january what does that (laughs) tell us about the priorities of america as a nation in 2021 i mean i think it's certainly like we don't we we don't have a problem with uh 
uh, Caucasian domestic destruction. If, it, <laughs> if, if space uh, creatures want to come here and, and destroy us with lasers, we, that we've got to look into. But look, when the call's coming from inside the house, uh, America will answer happily and invite the caller inside. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess invite them to continue staying inside. <laughs> Who cares about CDD when you got UFOs? <laughs> In uh, other American news, the Democrats' attempt to uh, rewrite election voting law is uh, blocked by a Republican uh, filibuster. The bill known as the For the People Act would touch on virtually every aspect of how elections are conducted, removing obstacles to voting that disproportionately affect people of colour, reducing and controlling the influence of big money in politics and limiting partisan influence over the drawing of congressional districts. Now, obviously, uh, Josh, mm-hmm. uh, these all seem like, um, well, let's put it in layman's terms, f***ing obvious things to do uh, mm-hmm. if you're a democracy fan. And democracy does still have quite a lot of fans, despite its piss-poor form over recent times. But fans are loyal <laughs> in sport. But... But but the Republicans, I mean, it's a results business, isn't it? And um, I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're clinging on to these 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 tools in their, their <laughs> repugnant golf bag. That's true. Republic. It, it is a politics is based on results, and the Republicans are doing an amazing job at ensuring no results from this legislation. <laughs> Uh, the Senate Republicans didn't just oppose the bill, right? That's one thing if they vote just voted against it. But they, as you said, they filibustered to block debate on it, which means they hate voting so much they refuse to even do it themselves in <laughs> solidarity with the people of color whose votes they were suppressing. From the grand old party, this counts as a refreshing bit of ideological consistency. <laughs> They're not voting, we're not voting. <laughs> Man, that, that is a slogan that has to be used. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we talk a lot about American democracy uh, on the bugle, and you know, clearly, all all democratic systems have their, shall we say, inbuilt flaws. But I mean, if you were designing a system from scratch now, and you suggested all the things that are in place that the bill is trying to remove, you would be taken to somewhere quiet and t- told to spend thirty years alone with yourself <laughs> until you've come to your senses, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I think some of these conventions of democracy, like, the people who like them uh, cling to them as, like, this is how it's done. This is the process. We have to have rules. And the people who don't like them, I think, rightfully say, um, these were implemented 250 years ago by uh, people who had never operated a light switch. So maybe it's okay to rethink them. (laughs) It does feel a bit like being a democracy fan in 2021 is a bit like being a Manchester United fan in 2021, in that you're (laughs) largely existing on the memory of previous glories, and all your possible hopes are being hollowed out by some very, very rich Americans. (laughs) It's the... um... Yeah, I guess the difference with Man United is at least they've won some things within the last, what, two two and a half (laughs) thousand years. Kamala Harris, who uh, is leading the White House's voting rights push, uh, said to reporters that it is clear, certainly for the American people, that when we talk about the right to vote, it is not a Republican concern or a Democratic concern. It is an American concern. Now, here is the problem with that. It absolutely is a Republican concern if people are going to vote, (laughs) given that their next election slogan is going to have to be vote for us in order to die of disease and or gun violence. The literal (laughs) last thing is that, that they need is for more Americans to vote. Of course, this 
is a group of people, this is a deranged cult of white supremacists and conspiracy theorists. Of course they haven't accepted the election results. They have still not accepted the results of the Civil War. They are still <laughs> hoping that that gets relitigated. These are people who watched Lincoln like it was Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> It's it's now just feeling like the the idea of democracy is being mocked, right? Like Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema has rejected the calls to eliminate the filibuster, which would allow Democrats to pass more legislation with a simple majority winning a vote rather than the 60 vote threshold that's in place and even the phrase simple majority sounds like like we're being mocked right like oh come on you idiot you can't even pass legislation with a simple majority what kind of democracy is this numb nuts the the republicans argument against the act josh is that essentially it seems to me that they they say it it represents federal infringement on states' authority mm-hmm. and the states' right to conduct their own elections w- without fraud, or more accurately, with the level and type of fraud that they like <laughs> to conduct their elections with. So, I mean, is that is that something that yeah you know, we should just let them let them get on? Yeah, you know, if they want to be fraudulent, surely that's their own democratic choice to undermine their own democracy, isn't it? I mean, it just. Uh just the level of hypocrisy to be like a woman has no right to govern her own physical body, but we can take any liberties with the electoral body that we want. <laughs> it's just like truly horrifying. And that sums up so much of Republican philosophy. <laughs> well, I mean, when you talk about the hypocrisy, we had Mitch McConnell called the bill a solution looking for a problem. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, dismissed it as partisan legislation written by elected Democrats, designed to keep elected Democrats in office. I think that rates a full 2.1 Chernobyls on the hypocrisy <laughs> target counter. <laughs> um, uh, New York, uh, Josh, where you live, is uh, having its uh, mayoral election. Um, uh, and, well, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani's just, just this week had his law licence suspended for, quotes, <laughs> being a massive c- <laughs> for <laughs> ages. Um so uh, what's happening in uh, the the race to to follow in his glorious uh, glorious footsteps? So we had our mayoral primary election, which is basically the election um, because the the Republican candidate won't win. And now that I've said that, I've certainly conjured a victory into existence <laughs> for him. But in our it's our first step towards sending our current mayor, six and a half foot tall stack of blank paper, Bill De Blasio, <laughs> off to be ineffectual at things as a civilian, like he's going to fail at changing light bulbs and helping old ladies to get cereal down from high shelves at the grocery store. <laughs> The city this year implemented ranked choice voting, which means that people can include up to five candidates on their ballot in order of preference so that conceivably you can you're not you don't you can vote your conscience and vote pragmatically. And this kind of ballot really feeds into New Yorkers favorite pastime, having incredibly detailed opinions about things that don't matter to people anywhere else in the world. As an outsider to this, uh, it was interesting looking at the various candidates. I thought that Maya Wiley had an interesting platform of investing in public housing and increasing funding for education and homelessness. Uh, But depressingly, it looks like she's going to be edged out. And maybe the mistake Maya Wiley made was to not grasp the only thing people want to know about from a New York mayor. What are their policies towards the Ghostbusters? Are they (laughs) pro or anti? Where do they stand on the Ninja Turtles? Heroes in a half shell or sewer-based menace? 
We need to have the answers to these questions. I truly think you could get elected mayor of New York City by being like, I hate when people do crime and having like a good bagel order. That, <laughs> <laughs> that like truly is enough. Cheerleading news now. And um, <laughs> at last. Well, yes, I mean, it's a, it's a topic that's not been covered. It's been remiss of us, actually, on this uh, August audio <laughs> newspaper. Huge news in, in, in cheerleading. An 18-year-old cheerleader uh, who has won the right uh, to say f*** softball at the age of 14, um, which is obviously enshrined in the... I believe it's uh, actually woven into the um, underpants of the Statue of Liberty as well. Um <laughs> But um, it's uh, I mean, cheer- cheerleading. Obviously, it's 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 very it's arguably the most American thing. It's a very demanding gymnastic discipline, as well as being gender stereotyping monthly magazines, <laughs> sport of the millennium, <laughs> six millennia in a row, in a row now. Um, so just uh, again, just just fill us in on this uh, th- this story a bit. So this cheerleading story went all the way to the Supreme Court. A cheerleader in Pennsylvania was suspended for a year. At, because she made the junior varsity squad as opposed to varsity, and she posted on Snapchat, fuck school, fuck softball, fuck cheer, fuck everything, which rules. Uh, although it is sad that kids these days are so dependent on their phones that they didn't even know the, that they don't even realize that's the kind of thing you can just scrawl in the back of your notebook. Whatever visit consequences. It's just too, too online. Um, I really truly love this story we do so many stories here that are that make me feel despair and anxiety <laughs> of the future. And this is like the even a republican dominated supreme court uh they ruled eight to one in in, in the favor of, of of this young woman and, and i can't wait to see how this is perverted this ruling is perverted and twisted to destroy the nation in the future but yeah. now, right, because <laughs> thanks to mitch mcconnell the court is full of republican ideologues who make rulings like teachers can't talk about palestinian liberation but bullets are free speech <laughs> or, um, when union or, when employees unionize that is the same thing as enslaving their bosses <laughs> Cheerleading, unfortunately, would never take off in the United Kingdom uh, because I can only imagine a group of British people being confronted by somebody with a lot of vim and vigour shouting, give me an A, and just all responding, no. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to UK news now. Uh, Well, excitement, uh, Nish, um, with the the health secretary, uh, Matt Hancock, um, who... (laughs) Recently, it was revealed that uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, had described him as totally f***ing useless. And um, it turns out that Hancock has uh, responded by saying, you got the first two-thirds of that right, Prime Minister. <laughs> I am absolutely on it. Put a mask on this, ladies. but on donk um, <laughs> You are our Cabinet Minister's um, yeah. big naughty correspondent, uh, Nish. This has obviously been a very busy day for you, keeping up with uh, with, with the latest. Yes, and, and what I would say is... Um, uh, brace yourselves for this because this I, uh, I would say that my writing process for today's bugle has been fairly comprehensively derailed uh, because this morning, uh, as Andy has alluded to, the health secretary Matt Hancock, the man who puts the Matt Hancock into the phrase, another catastrophic error by Matt Hancock, has become embroiled in a sex scandal. Uh, the Sun newspaper obtained a photo from inside the Department of Health of Hancock sucking face with one of his aides like teenagers, apparently. To be completely honest, I wouldn't know, because when I was a teenager, I was too busy nailing my A-levels to bother with things like kissing or fun. (laughs) 
Hancock now joins the Hall of Fame of Politicians Court shagging, who also have penile names. The champion is, of course, former New York mayoral candidate Anthony Weiner. I suspect he will remain undisputed in that status unless it turns out there's a French politician called Claude Pinishole or a Russian bloke <laughs> called Dimitri Ballbag. And listen... I am not here to moralise about people's sex lives, but the optics are subpar because Hancock, as health secretary, the person who's been responsible for our COVID response, has presided of a death toll of 128,000 people, at least 128,000 people. So the question we now have to ask is, is Matt Hancock sexually aroused by old people dying? I don't know. I do, I'm just asking the questions. The real story here is not that Matt Hancock, a man who seems to have had his capacity for charisma surgically removed and also looks like a child's drawing of an adult that's been brought to life by a witch's curse, has had sex. <laughs> Neither is the story that, having seen the pictures of the woman involved and his wife, Hancock is punching like P. Kira Muhammad Ali. The story <laughs> is that, firstly, these pictures were taken before the guidelines were changed and the government was still encouraging social distancing from people outside your household, right? Now, when the scientist Neil Ferguson broke lockdown rules to do some sweet banging, Hancock said he welcomed his resignation. Secondly, the identity of the woman involved is incredibly important. Her name is Gila Coladangelo, and she's Matt Hancock's friend from university, who he made an unpaid advisor, who was then given a £15,000 a year role on the board of the Department of Health. She's also a director at Luther Pendragon, a lobbying firm who claimed to offer clients a deep understanding of the mechanics of government. Some of the firm's clients have received millions of pounds in government money during the COVID-19 app. This, coupled with the story about Hancock's former neighbour winning a contract to produce medical supplies despite having no previous experience in the area, and a judge ruling that Matt Hancock acted unlawfully by failing to publish details of contracts awarded to companies that provided protective equipment, is what makes this story so spicy. Basically, in one fell swoop, Matt Hancock has ruined sex and corruption. <laughs> and the thing is, last November, the Times, when he actually hired uh, this lady, the Times newspaper in London actually tried to break the story last November because it is a co it feels like a very, very blatant conflict of public interest. But it was met with widespread public disinterest. But now the in the photos, Hancock is, to be frank, grabbing her ass like it's hella full of vaccines. People are really <laughs> starting to pay attention. Um, and the Prime Minister said that he accepted Matt Hancock's apology and considers the matter closed. Of course, Boris Johnson is not going to sack a man amidst allegations of corruption stemming from an extramarital <laughs> affair, because that would be like me sacking someone for being both brown and niche. And <laughs> look, Hancock has presided over one of the worst death rates in the world. He should have been sacked over protective equipment shortages. He should have been sacked over his handling of care homes where untested elderly people were sent to spread the disease and killed thousands of people. And the idea that he might be sacked for an extramarital affair feels a bit like getting Al Capone on tax evasion. But what I would say <laughs> is that, to be quite frank with you, he's shown no inclination to resign. The government has shown no inclination to sack him because when it comes to this Conservative government, Al Capone has got nothing on this pack of crooked c**ts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I mean, it's a kind, of a kind of straw that breaks the camel's back situation, isn't it? And you cannot break a camel's back if the camel's vertebrae are basically just sawdust already. <laughs> Yeah, in this case they're just they're just blowing out the camel's back, right? <laughs> I do I do just like the way that, that camel. <laughs> like, the, the term uh, he acknowledged that he breached the social distancing guidelines, which is 
Yeah, COVID's brought many, many unexpected benefits to the world and new euphemisms for um, doing the deed. <laughs> it's right up there. I, I, I thought Hancock should have started out and been like, yes, I did shag her, and no, I didn't breach the guidelines. That's right. I've got a two-metre ding-dong. <laughs> um, Labour's Annalise Dodd said Hancock's position was hopelessly untenable. Um, which is sadly no longer a factor in whether or not someone should retain their position. <laughs> Politics 2021, Annalise, get with the times. Uh, Hancock has asked for privacy on, quotes, this personal matter. And I guess being openly hypocritical whilst in public office is indeed a personal private matter these days. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with anything else. And what well, as you say, it, it, Boris Johnson can't fire him because if he starts firing people for contraband smooching, dereliction of duty and premium grade hypocrisy, he's going to not end up not only f- just firing himself, but imprisoning himself in the Tower of London, <laughs> ceremonially lobbing the key in the Thames, and then Anne Boleyning the shit out of himself. <laughs> sport news now, and well, obviously only one place to start in sport this week, the match. Everyone is talking about a fascinating clash of styles and cultures, a showdown for the ages, soon to take place in London this year. Are, are you excited? I'm very excited, but I would like to get you to actually say what it is because I have a feeling uh, you're leading me in a trap. Right, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the Harlequins versus Exeter there we go. Premiership Rugby Thank Final. You. you know what? Fool me once by getting me to care about rugby. Shame on me. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Quinn's back in the, the first final since 2012, which we covered exclusively on the Bugle. Um, when they, they Does won. that mean it was the only place that covered it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. No one else. We had exclusive rights. Josh, back in the final. Josh. Yes. Yes, it was. I mean, it's it's uh, oh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. They were an incredible run to the playoffs, featuring back-to-back wins uh, in the last play of matches when they'd had a player sent off. This after beginning the season playing like a wheelbarrow f- full of forgotten haddock. Then the head coach left. They remember that sport doesn't have to be about the remorseless eradication of hope and joy, despite what the England football team, and indeed rugby team, and indeed quite often the cricket team might try and tell you. And since then, they've played almost surreally brilliant, high-risk attacking rugby, so spectacular that it's even been possible to watch their games without constantly thinking about the moral rights and wrongs of watching people suffer long-term cranial trauma for your own entertainment. It's been that good, Nish. That good. Semi-final last weekend, 28-0 down to Bristol, which, to put it in a context our American listeners might find easier to comprehend, it's a bit like being in an NFL game and being 28-0 down. And they came back to win <laughs> in extra time. It's possibly the best thing that's happened in the world in the past 18 months. Andy, if I, re- if I may return to my catchphrase uh, from when I was 14 years old, no one gives a f*** about rugby. <laughs> okay? No one gives a f*** about it. I thought this was maybe me just being having an American perspective, but I'm glad to know that, that the perspective of not giving a fuck about rugby is roundly represented on this podcast. And it's kind of Andy versus the world. Yeah, it's, it's, now, now cricket is getting increasingly more popular. Salzburg has had to abandon it for increasingly obscure sports. Like kind of a system of athletic relativism. <laughs> Cricket's popularity is growing. <laughs> I've I've not abandoned cricket in this year. If anything, I'm, I've been doubling down on it. <laughs> Literally professional level. There's also a football game going on on Tuesday. Uh, Nish, England, uh, England, Germany. It's the uh, big one. The the big one. I mean, in terms of you know being a being a newspaper football reporter, this is what what you dream of, isn't it? The chance to be, I mean, incredibly infantile about an England Germany 
clash. Isn't yeah, it? this is a what great chance to lose all perspective about everything <laughs> and to immediately equate a what is basically glorified tiddlywinks in, in, and to compare that to a, a world war. Which I, I, I was uh, 11 years old in 1996 when uh, England played Germany in the European Championships that happened in Wembley, uh, a fixture, and I think in a venue that is going to be full repeated on Tuesday. Uh, and, uh, you know, people just used it as a, a lovely excuse for some just broad racism against Germans in the newspapers. So, I mean, I guess we're in for a sort of exciting 48 hours. Yes. Uh, and then the game will happen, and it will be unbelievably boring. <laughs> England so far have had a one-nil win, a nil-nil draw, and another one-nil win. They've had in three games. So what's that? What's that? Two hundred four, four and four and a half hours of of football. They've managed to kick the ball accurately at the goal six times and get it in the goal twice, yeah. whilst not letting their opponents kick it in the goal. I mean, it's. I, I mean, I know the world. The world is, you know, it's it's, it's I mean, highly strung and needs to calm down a bit. But is this the right way to do it to present sporting mogadon to to the planet in the <laughs> I mean, form of the England football team? I do think I know the object is to win, but maybe they should let the other team kick it in the goal sometimes just to keep people watching, <laughs> or get better at kicking it in the goal yourselves. That's the two choices. <laughs> Wow, wow, Josh, for uh, you know, for somebody who said that they didn't understand football, you appear to have achieved the level of about 90% of people employed by British broadcasters to talk about football. I think, actually, we should kick it in the goal more often. Congratulations, you will be presenting the halftime coverage. <laughs> well, I grew, I grew up around Boston, which is like the, the world mecca for obvious uh, cantankerous sports coverage. <laughs> Uh, the- I also, on my sports coverage, I was involved in yesterday um, a, a rare outing on the on the television doing statistics for uh, BBC's cricket coverage. Uh, someone sent me a screenshot. So, because of COVID regulations, I can't be in the commentary box. I'm in a production truck mm-hmm. outside the van, and they call it the the stats cave. And someone sent me a screenshot of the uh, the subtitles that's mm-hmm. had. And now it's over to Andy in the stud cave, and I thought, <laughs> yes. Andy Zaltzman in the stud cave. This is what my career has been leading to. This is this is the most damning indictment of cricket. Cricket as a sport is so boring, Andy is a stud. <laughs> well, it's better than the alternative, which is Andy built the stud cave after dedicating his life to becoming stud man after viewing his parents tragically murdered by studs. <laughs> Andy, you're the magic mic of cricket. <laughs> Um, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. I'm feeling um, slightly recuperated after that. Um, uh, Josh, any uh, other shows you'd like to uh, alert our listeners to? Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm doing some stand-up again. Uh, you wow. can find out about... I know. You can find out about that at joshgondelman.com. Um, I have a podcast called Make My Day. And uh, Jesus and Marrow on Showtime and Hulu is back. We took a few weeks off, and we're back on television. And I, I work there. I'm not just a fan. Because <laughs> like people are like, you really seem to like those guys. Like, oh, no, 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 I'm employed. <laughs> and they do really like them, but also I work there. <laughs> Mish, 
Uh, I have uh, two comedy albums available uh, called It's In Your Nature To Destroy Yourselves, parts one and two. And I uh, have also got a tour on sale for the United Kingdom. And you can find out all about that at nishkumar.co.uk. Uh, I uh, there's a live bugle on the 7th of September in, in London I did mention previously that I uh, might be touring the UK in November that is now up in the air um, <laughs> due, due to uh, potential other things <laughs> so I'll keep I'll keep you updated I'll keep you updated at some point so there's a link there's a link yeah, just click just click a link and, and see, see what happens um Anyway, we'll see. We'll see every, everyone uh, on the seventh of September in an uh, uh, upturned purple cow in London. <laughs> Until next time, thank you very much uh, for listening. We will now play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers to join them and make a one-off or recurring uh, contribution to keep the show free, flourishing, and independent. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button and buy the various bits of merch as well. Seth Wilson managed to get a surprisingly long way in science without noticing that there is no letter R in the term ionic bonding. I'd always assumed it was an ironic bonding between atoms that were getting together in a kind of sarcastic, we don't really want to bond, but we're doing it anyway kind of way. No one ever corrected me, and nothing that major has ever gone wrong, so it just goes to show, it doesn't really matter why atoms bond, as long as they get the job done, concludes Seth. Julian Martin wishes ghosts would just leave it out, frankly. I don't like telling people how to live their lives, says Julian, but I'm prepared to tell ghosts how to live their deaths, and my advice to them would be, just let it go. Seriously, you're not making yourselves happy, you're not making anyone in the living realm happy, move on. Find some new hobbies or at least do something constructive, like taking some dead ghost dogs for a walk. Ben Amos finds his enjoyment of historical films significantly impacted by pondering over the sheer logistical challenges of basic existence in times gone by. I can't take these films seriously, complains Ben. It looks like everyone would have spent their entire lives desperately trying to survive, taking ages to get anywhere and ages to do anything. So as soon as the plot gets much more complicated than person eats cabbage, I tune out and think, this is a bit far-fetched. Boton Sipos, apologies if there's any mispronunciation, has many time travel fantasies, foremost amongst which are arriving at the murder of Julius Caesar wearing full ice hockey kit, depositing hip-hop star Eminem in the year 1215 in England just as the Magna Carta was about to be signed to see what happened and whether any of his lyrics made it into the famous constitutional document, and opening up a skateboard shop in Jerusalem in 500 BC. And finally, for his part, if Ashley Templeton had access to a time machine, he would just zip round pretty much every era of human life, wind down the window when he got there, pop his head out and say, what are you guys wearing? before zipping off again. I mean, seriously, says Ashley, how come it took us so long as a species to learn how to dress? I mean, I know we're not ourselves flawless, that will come in about a thousand years time by my calculations, but ruffs, for example, and the 18th century wig, come on! Ashley adds that he has no problem with the toga, which he describes as a quality effort. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or 
engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.